Hello and welcome to the Californiography Podcast. I am your host, Javier Servin, a.k.a. Fuhauser. And on today's episode, we're going to try something a little different. So far, every episode, I talk about one of my videos. But today, I want to talk about a few of them together that have an overarching theme, which gives me the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite subjects, programmatic architecture. Now, programmatic architecture, or novelty architecture, as it's sometimes also called, is when a building is made to look like what's sold inside or illustrates the name or theme of the business. Back in the 1920s and 30s, as car culture was taking shape in California, business owners needed a way to drive motorists and they figured, why have a sign outside the building when the building itself could be the sign? You sell flowers? Why not sell them out of a giant flower pot shaped building? You serve ice cream? Why not serve it out of a giant ice cream maker completed with a hand crank? Your restaurant's called the Brown Derby? Why not have your diners eat inside a giant brown derby hat? You get the idea. Eventually, that type of architecture fell out of style, and most of those buildings have been torn down and replaced. But we're lucky to have a few examples that still survive, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So buckle in, we're going to take a road trip with stops at a big tamal, a windmill, a giant chili bowl, and some dinosaurs. On Whittier Boulevard in East LA, just over the border from Montebello, you'll find this weirdly shaped building shoehorn between a clinic and an event planning business. Sort of looks like a wrapped piece of candy or maybe even a sausage link, but it's actually supposed to be a tamal. Now, I'm Mexican and this building doesn't look like any of the tamales I grew up eating, but I do recognize the shape as being the type of tamales or tamales that I would see in Looney Tune cartoons. The ends of the corn husk are tied like twisty ends of a hard candy. Back in the early 1900s, tamales were the street food of Los Angeles. Hundreds of tamal wagons roamed the streets and competition was stiff. In order to set himself apart, Samuel C. Wilhite received a patent for a tamal-shaped wagon that he called the Tamale Inn. But instead of roaming downtown, he decided for a permanent location and built the tamale in the late 1920s. The tamale had a long counter with stools, you could have malts, hamburgers, hot tamale pies, and other quote-unquote Spanish delights. You could also, of course, eat a tamale inside of the giant tamale. As the decades went on, the tamale changed ownership and uses. It stopped serving as a restaurant sometime in the mid-1980s and was transformed to house two businesses. On one side was a dental office, and on the other side was a beauty salon. Now, can you imagine pulling up to your dentist appointment and seeing that it's housed inside of a giant tamale? I don't know about you, but I'd probably get back in my car and drive home. Eventually, both sides of the tamale building were taken over by the salon, but it's actually sat vacant for many years. There is a push to declare the building a historical landmark, but the owners have pushed back, arguing that conservation would lower its real estate value. Now see, this is one of those situations where I wish I would win the lottery, because one of the first things I would do is buy the tamale and immediately start selling tamales again. Fortunately, it's still there, so if you ever find yourself cruising down Whittier Boulevard in East LA, make sure to stop, take a picture, and admire the tamale. Definitely one of my favorite buildings. At the northeast corner of Huntington Drive and San Anita Avenue in Arcadia is a very unique looking Denny's. It has this circular folded plate looking roof with a giant windmill sitting on top. This is the last remaining fully intact Van de Camp's coffee shop building. 
a chain that once had 320 bakeries and coffee shops all over the West Coast. Their baked goods were also sold in grocery stores. I remember eating Vandekamp's packaged donuts and chocolate cake as a kid. Vandekamp's also happens to be one of my other obsessions. I actually bought a set of their picnic mugs on eBay a few months ago, and I had my eye on a menu for one of the coffee shops, just waiting for the price to drop. So anyway, Vandekamp's was started in 1915 as Saratoga Chips, a food stand selling potato chips in downtown LA. People loved them so much that they'd often sell out after two hours. Wanting to emphasize their Dutch heritage, two of the founders, Marianne and Henrietta, would take orders dressed in Dutch costumes. A potato shortage forced them to find something else to sell, so they started selling baked goods in 1916 and changed the name to Vandekamp's Dutch Bakeries. This business also blossomed, and by 1921 they had opened their first bakery store and opened their first coffee shop by 1923. That first bakery store had that distinct windmill design that would become symbolic of their brand. It was designed by Academy Award-nominated art director Henry Olive, who worked on films like Seventh Heaven, Street Angel, Ben-Hur, and the original Scarface. Now what better way to represent the Dutch theme of the bakeries and coffee shops than to have a Dutch windmill on top of your building? They were definitely eye-catching. Business continued to boom for Van de Kamp's, and they eventually built the bakery and headquarters in the Glass Cell Park neighborhood of LA. They also branched down into frozen foods, as their fried halibut had become one of their most famous dishes served in their restaurants. In 1956, when Theodore Van de Kamp, one of the other founders, passed away, the company was split in two. The frozen foods division and a bakery slash coffee shop division. The frozen food division did really well, so well, in fact, that you can still find Van de Kamp's fish sticks in the freezer aisle of your local grocery store. However, the bakeries and the coffee shops didn't fare as well. The bakeries filed for bankruptcy in 1990, and the Glassell Park headquarters closed. The name Vandekamps continued to be used by Ralph's for their in-house breads and pastries until 2010, when they just switched over to labeling everything as Kroger. The coffee shops were also sold off, many of which were taken over by Denny's. The coffee shop in Arcadia was bought by Denny's in 1989, and they considered demolishing the windmill, but they were convinced to preserve it. After many years, the windmill was finally restored and back spinning in 2016. But in 2017, one of the blades fell through the roof and they had to repair it again. Then, in 2021, a fire broke out and the building has sat empty ever since. There's signs saying that reconstruction is underway, but the times I've passed by, nothing seems to have changed. I'm hopeful that it gets reopened soon so I can bring one of my Vandekamp's mugs and have a cup of coffee under that windmill. So as I mentioned before, I grew up and spent most of my life in Huntington Park. My freshman year of high school, we moved to the southwest part of HP, right near the border of Walnut Park and the Florence Graham neighborhood of LA. Two blocks from where we lived, there was a nightclub called Guadalajara de Noche that was in this really weird shaped building. I always thought it was supposed to look like a cantarito, one of those jarritos de barro, this uh, clay cup that is used to serve uh, tequila-based cocktails. It made sense to me, Guadalajara, tequila. However, it turns out that the building actually predated the nightclub, that when it was first built, it was actually called the Chili Bowl, and the building was supposed to look like a bowl of chili. The building in HP was actually the second of almost two dozen locations in LA. In 1931, Arthur Wizen, a 25-year-old former amateur boxer, 
opened his first chili bowl restaurant at Crenshaw Boulevard. Since the restaurant specializes in chili, what better way to advertise than to serve it out of a giant chili bowl? I'm telling you, this is why I love programmatic architecture. I would have loved to sit and have a bowl of chili inside a giant bowl of chili. Apparently, other people thought the same thing as I did because within a decade, Wizen had opened almost two dozen locations. But just as fast as business boomed, it busted. During World War II, he had a downsized chain, and by 1947, all of the chili bowls had closed. Over the years, just like other programmatic architecture examples, the buildings have been torn down. Only four of them survive in different states of disrepair and use. There was a chili bowl on Pico Boulevard in West LA that used to house the Michelin-starred sushi restaurant, but it was dismantled in 2022. Reports say that it's being stored, but there's no details as to where or for how long. The Chili Bowl on San Fernando Road in Glendale was used as a used car dealer's office, but it's sat vacant for years and it's really in bad shape. The roof's missing and it's been vandalized. There is one Chili Bowl that is still being used as a restaurant, and that's the one on Valley Boulevard in Alhambra, although it currently is a Chinese restaurant. I've never eaten there, but I'm glad it's still operating as a restaurant. The Chili Bowl that I grew up knowing has sat vacant for many years. I've learned that before it was the Guadalajara de Noche nightclub, it was called Rick's Arena, at least in the 60s. It's been spared the wrecking ball. All the buildings to the south, east, and west of it have been torn down. I'm hoping that it will find a new life soon, as a restaurant or a bar again. Who knows, maybe someone has a killer chili recipe and they'll take over it. Hey, a guy can dream. If you've ever driven to or from Palm Springs on the 10 freeway, I know you've seen the giant brontosaurus and T-Rex on the side of the road. Or at the very least, you've seen them in movies like Pee-wee's Big Adventure or The Wizard. They were even in the Tears for Fears music video for one of my favorite songs, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Now, unlike the other buildings that we've talked about, these weren't built to house a business. There was no dino burgers or anything like that. They were built to call attention to the restaurant next door. The owner, Claude Bell figured people would see the dinosaurs, pull off the freeway to check them out, and stop in for a bite. Claude Bell made a career out of art, particularly sculpting. As a kid in Atlantic City, he'd built sand sculptures of teddy bears and he would earn money from passersby. At age 33, he started traveling the country and working fairs, which is how he wound up working at the Long Beach Pike in 1940. There, he met Walter Knott. You know the guy. He had a farm, grew berries, you might have heard of him. Anyway, Knott hired Bell to build several of Knott's Berry Farmer's most famous statues, like Handsome Brady and Whiskey Bill in Ghost Town. While working at Knott's, Bell bought 62 acres in Cabazon and opened a restaurant called The Wheel and Diner in 1958 and decided he needed a way to draw in customers. He drew inspiration from an elephant-shaped building named Lucy that he had seen as a kid in Jersey, so he decided to build a brontosaurus in 1964. He salvaged construction material from the nearby 10 freeway and spent $300,000 of his own money and 11 years building Dinny the Dinosaur. The 45-foot high, 150-foot long, and 150-ton Dinny has a small museum and gift shop in its belly, and Bell would charge a small fee to visit. He had wanted the eyes to glow and to have Dinny spew smoke. Bell said that it would scare the dickens out of anybody driving at night, but he never did get that going. He did, however, have the itch to keep building. 
and built a T-Rex right next to Denny, dubbed Mr. Rex. Now this one took less time to build, but cost more money, although Bell never said how much. You could climb inside and look out of the T-Rex's mouth and also slide down its tail, but that was deemed unsafe and filled it with concrete. Bell had planned to build a woolly mammoth and have a whole prehistoric park next to his diner, but he passed away before that vision could be fulfilled. After his death, the Wheel Inn and the dinosaurs were bought by different owners in the early 90s. Sadly, the diner closed in 2013 and was demolished in 2016, but it has been forever immortalized in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's the diner that Large Marge drops them off at. The dinosaurs were bought by a religious group that were using them to push creationism in the early 2000s. They had signs inside the museum refuting evolution and even built the dinosaur exhibit park on the property. They had scenes like monkeys riding dinosaurs and knights fighting dinosaurs. No, seriously, like, watch my video. Anyway, sometimes in the late 2010s, they removed all the creationist elements and by 2020, they were starting to paint the dinos to match the seasons. For Valentine's Day one year, the T-Rex was wearing a tuxedo. Uh, one year, Denny was painted purple to look like Dino from the Flintstones. You get the picture. Fortunately, it seems that their popularity as pop culture icons and roadside attractions is going to guarantee that these will be some examples of programmatic architecture that will be preserved, which is great considering how much of them we've already lost. Well, if you didn't believe me when I told you I was obsessed with programmatic architecture, you certainly believe me now after this episode. There's still quite a few examples left in California, especially here in the Softland, so look out for those videos in the future. I'll put the link up to the programmatic architecture playlist on my YouTube channel, where you can watch all the videos of the buildings that we talked about today. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the California Area Podcast. Make sure to subscribe here and to my YouTube channel and follow me on social media. I would really appreciate it. Until next time when we, because remember, it's you and me, continue to explore the history that's in our own backyard that we call California. All right, talk to you soon.